The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today's program is a very unique program, and it sort of provides a perspective to the listenership on how sophisticated archaeological data collection and processing and ultimately interpretation can evolve. And it's a system, it's a series of developments that has emerged basically over the past 20 years, more precisely over the past 10 years, where there is no longer the traditional a need for collection of data, long pauses, processing of data, which means uh, an analysis of pottery, uh, long times in long long periods of time in which artifacts are sorted, and ultimately uh, getting to a position where reports are written up. The technical techni- technical and methodological savvy that archaeological teams all over the world have displayed over the past 10, 20 years is such that everything is done much faster. It's uh, part of the information revolution, and it is... Uh, a series of developments that are that have been uh, developed in a number of countries, um, especially those in which archaeology is treated on a ver- on a federal level, and that notwithstanding, nearly all large archaeological projects are now very well integrated into a step by step process from data collection to report generation that is done as a pl- and in the form of a platform that extends um, across the site at the time the site is being excavated and ultimately shows itself in rapid turnaround for projects on a variety of scales. Today's presentation is very unique because we are looking basically at the Australian system, which turns out to involve a number of Americans. And um, I am call, we have they have called this project the Federa- Federated Archaeological Information Management Systems 
project, not to be confused with a data management system at all, but uh, more directly associated with what I've just described. My guests are Dr. Sean Ross, who is an associate professor of history and archaeology and the deputy director of the Big History Institute at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. His interests include the history and archaeology of pre-classical Greece, oral tradition as history, uh, the archaeology of the Balkans, Greece in its wider Mediterranean Balkan context, and the application of inter information technologies to the humanities. And of course, the latter is the focus of what we're doing. Dr. Adela Sobotkova is a PhD in classical and archaeology at the University of Michigan. She's currently research fellow at the School of Ancient History at Macquarie University, Sydney, Australia as well. She super, supervises, and uh, correct me if, if I'm mispronouncing, the Tunja Regional Archaeological Project in Bulgaria. And Dr. Brian... Uh, Balson Stanton, PhD, PhD at the University of New South Wales, is a research associate at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. His research interests include exploring how people interact with and understand the nature of data. Uh, welcome to all of you. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank Hello, you. Joe. We're glad to be here. Sean, let me start with you. Um, how did is this is this your brainchild basically, or did it evolve through a series of interactions with folks at the university, or how did it how did it generate itself? Uh, well, this is uh, actually a project that Adela and I uh, launched uh, a few years ago, mostly based on our experiences running our own field project in Bulgaria, the one that you'd uh, that you'd, you'd mentioned, the Tunja Regional Archaeology Project. Um, and uh, that, that project ran from 2009 till 2011 uh, and was a major landscape archaeology project where we were doing uh, uh, large areas of, surface, of archaeological surface survey. And uh, at the time, we committed to uh, using the best digital tools available uh, to uh, collect and process our data, which essentially meant uh, ArcGIS and ArcPad uh, for digital data collection because we were looking to... To the, to the degree possible, we were looking to um, uh, eliminate double entry of data where you go out and collect things on paper and then, uh, you know, months, sometimes weeks or months later, uh, get an undergraduate or a graduate student to, uh, to uh, uh, type that all into a computer, which introduces errors, slows everything down. So we were, using, we were trying to use uh, ArcPad, uh, an Esri product, to, uh, to um, uh, record in the field. And uh, we were quite um, uh, dissatisfied with with this, and uh, so we thought, well, you know, it's it's time for archaeology archaeology to uh, uh, to develop some custom tools because it's uh, quite um, difficult and time consuming to uh, uh, to um, implement desktop software, Microsoft Access, FileMaker Pro, etc., uh, to uh, uh, to do this kind of data collection effectively. Uh, what we found was that uh, it's well beyond the, uh, the resources of a single project to develop effective software of this, uh, of this kind. So uh, that led us to look for partners across Australia, uh, and um, we ended up uh, getting quite a bit of, of, of support uh, and uh, putting together a network here. Uh, and so when a large um, uh, program to develop 
uh, infrastructure for the uh, for uh, for research to support research in Australia was announced. We we had uh, what they wanted, which was a quote unquote sector wide solution for uh, uh, for for software for uh, for archaeology. Uh, and we uh, in 2012 we successfully uh, won one of these uh, major infrastructure grants and start, and and uh, started this project. The infrastructure grant came from a federal grant, from an Australia grant, or uh, yes, it was the Australian uh, National E Research Collaboration Tools and Resources Grant uh, Scheme here, which um, was a very generous uh, uh, program to develop uh, e research tools and other infrastructure, uh, both the physical infrastructure and the software infrastructure to uh, conduct research. And um, Adela, how did you get involved in this? So I was uh, co-supervising the Tunja Regional Archaeological Project with Sean, um, actually since about 2007. And uh, once the project really took off in 2009, we ended up having 25 people on the ground, five teams, all running simultaneously across two administrative regions in Bulgaria, collecting data in English, Czech, and Bulgarian, and we needed to manage them. This was so, a Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Please. This was a tremendous task, and you can just imagine what kind of data we had two months later. And um, while we were trying to take advantage of the existing digital tools, we still ended up with a lot of paper, which, in fact, we are still sorting to this day. And our publication is due in April or May this year, and um, it's a lot of work uh, to um, sort through all the PDFs and scans that remain that we didn't manage to digitize on the, or enter into a database on the spot. So it was at the end of the uh, Tunja Regional Archaeological Project that Sean and I told each other that unless we have a better system to manage all this data and to collect data digitally, we don't really want to go and do field work anymore. Um, and so that's how we, and we've together written several grants and talked to people. There is a big digital archaeology community and we're looking for different solutions and testing different existing uh, approaches. And in the end, um, once this um, initiative, the Australian National Grant came by, that seemed like the right opportunity to put forth a, a um, proposal for an application or a system of our own. And uh, what we decided was uh, to take stock of not only our needs, but the needs of all other archaeologists uh, in Australia and um, in the overseas and see whether we could create a tool uh, truly for archaeologists. You will probably know that archaeologists over the last hundred years have always taken up tools developed by other disciplines, such as, you know, stratigraphy from the geologists. Uh, there are um, databases from the IT experts. So we wanted to create a tool that truly addresses the needs that archaeologists have with all their idiosyncrasy. And so that's how I got involved. I see. And um, the research element of it that, uh, Brian, you're doing, is, are you sort of on the methodological end of things? What is your role in this? My role is the technical role. I'm the, I, I designed the database that allows for the data collection. I'm the person straddling both worlds, the humanities and the technical side of things, hopefully translating the actual needs of, of our archaeologists into something that is possible and implementable. 
I see what you're saying. Well, I th- you raise a couple of really good issues, um, and, and I, I would like to get your fix on this, and I'll, I'll sort of put this out and identify a particular issue. My assumption here, I don't know about your site, I am assuming it is a Greek period or Roman period site? So we do diachronic surface survey in Bulgaria. It's a regional uh, project and we use landscape archaeology um, as an approach. So we actually survey two regions and there are hundreds of sites in each of them. And so this is a regional survey. This is a regional survey. This is not a site-specific survey, correct? Correct. I see. Some okay. of our research are in the settlement patterns of inland Thrace. And are you confined to a particular period or you're looking at the geographic distribution of multiple occupations? So our survey is diachronic, meaning we are covering all the periods that we can recognize since the first sedentary um, populations in inland Thrace, which is modern Bulgaria. Right. Uh, and practically, we do everything from the Neolithic through the Byzantine early Ottoman period. Okay. Um, our I specifically in my dissertation have focused on the first millennium BC, which uh, roughly corresponds to the rise of complex society in Greece, and then it's you know flourished during the classical and Hellenistic period. So that is my own um, um, personal specialization. But we have also written on the. Um, Neolithic changes and Bronze Age uh, uh, changes in the, the settlement patterns and in their in their environmental context. And Sean, your particular interest in terms of the pure archaeology here? Uh, mine is uh, late Bronze Age, early Iron Age, and uh, and and. Uh, in that context, uh, human environment interactions and uh, and then some overlapping with Adela somewhat uh, the rise of complex society and states so and my training is in is in Greece, but i 'm seeing what I can learn by looking at, uh, at at the rest of the Balkans as well now the paleolithic doesn 't figure into this at all well we I think we found maybe. No, we didn't find anything that was securely Paleolithic when we were doing our survey. So we have an uh, anthropologist and geochronologist on the team with whom we have done cave survey all throughout one of the regions. And unfortunately, our findings have been fairly meager in that realm. We are not opposed to doing to doing research on Paleolithic, we try to collect information about every single recognizable period of human activity in the two areas that we work in. And I'm curious, uh, especially, uh, Brian, with your perspective on trying to bridge these gaps and to try to uh, establish a connection between, from what you're telling me, the humanities and the actual nuts and bolts of this project. Uh, How would you summarize that very, very briefly, if you would? Well, to, to summarize it with relation to the FAMES project versus the TRAP project, I'm, I'm interested in how people think about and use data. 
because different people understand the word data in different ways. And the problem is, is we don't have any signals or cues when, when we are saying the word data to mean what it is that we actually mean. And so what I'm looking at is how different archaeologists conceptualize data either as subjective observations or objective measurements or encoded human communications and trying to allow the tools that FAMES is producing to actually reflect how they understand data and to provide affordances for that use of it. And we will be back with another segment of our program and continue our very, very intriguing discussion on the FAMES project, which is the Federated Archaeological Information Management System, an integrated program and platform for data collection, data processing, and report preparation in uh, using a test case in Bulgaria to generate this very, very convenient, I hope, to be anyway, platform for, uh, for contemporary archaeological data. We'll be back in a minute. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune in to the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you experiencing a relationship or a relation slip? Without the carefully measured balance of spirit and ego, it might not be what you want it to be. On Relation Slips with Dr. Bobby Summer and Lori Lynn Mann, we'll explore relationships from two unique ends of the spectrum. In addition, we'll have amazing guests, both experts and celebrities, and we'll hear from you too. Relation Slips can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're 
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to indianajonesmythreality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and we have another installment of Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. In today's episode, we are very definitively emphasizing 21st century archaeology and disabusing people of the myths that archaeological theory and practice are currently undergoing in a world that is constantly changing and in a world in which information gets processed into uh, analytical and interpretive formats very much faster than they used to traditionally. We are talking to a series of research scholars at Macquarie University in Australia, and they have generated a product that is called the Federated Archaeological Information Management System, FAMES, and they have developed this integrated system based on a project, a complicated and uh, very extensive survey, archaeological survey project in Bulgaria called the Tundra Regional uh, Archaeological Project, or TRAP. So your acronyms here are TRAP, which is the project itself, and FAMES, which is the approach that will hopefully result in more extensive applications. Um, Adela, will you explain this a little bit more so that people listening here have a vision of how you generated your programs and uh, how you established these connections with the TRAP project? Hi, Joe. Thank you for the introduction. Let me um, clarify that a little bit. So we ran a three-year project in Bulgaria, the Tunchad Regional Archaeological Project, uh, the TRAP, that helped us identify numerous problems with archaeological data collection especially. Namely, these problems are, you know, duplicate data entry because you do, when you record stuff on paper. And the other problem, which was the existing digital tools were inadequate, not efficient enough, too slow, and many other issues surrounded them. So the trap showed us that there was a niche, there was a space for developing new digital tools specifically for archaeologists. Equipped with this experience, uh, Sean and I had created a new project called the FAMES, the Federated Archaeological Information Management Systems Project, that would help us create new tools for archaeologists to overcome the problem that we had in the field. And uh, one of these tools that we had developed in this project is the mobile platform that this program is focusing on. Uh, Just to clarify a little bit more, there are actually more components to the FAMES project. One of them is, uh, and, and we can talk about those later, but there are other tools for data processing and visualization as well as for the archiving of the finished product of archaeological research and investigation. And, Sean, your particular role is uh, in terms of were you you actually involved in the field work as well, or were you just at the the other end sort of assimilating data and uh, developing the platform? Uh, No, I was involved in the the field work as well. It was really a joint project of, uh, of Adela and mine from 
what uh, we started doing uh, uh, preliminary work in Bulgaria in 2005, and um, and and then had a, pro- a pilot project in 2008 that we used as the basis for an Australian Research Council grant application um, that funded our, our research uh, in Bulgaria from 2009 to 2011. And during that time, we surveyed over 100 square kilometers and recorded over 1,000 burial mounds uh, or, or something like 100 settlements. Uh, and, so, and so, yes, it was a large-scale regional project. Let me uh, step back for one minute because I I was educated in archaeology during the Pleistocene. And um, I just want to get sort of a perspective here. A couple of things that I find to be extremely challenging here, and you you have to tell me whether or not um, this is is, uh, especially challenging. First of all, uh, traditionally, archaeology that was performed for the classical period was not awfully science-oriented. Certainly when I went to school, it wasn't. And secondly, Bulgaria is sort of a new frontier in archaeology as far as I know. So, I mean, are you picking like a very, very challenging type of venue for which to to do this kind of work, or is uh, classical archaeology gone through a revolution where scientific methodologies are becoming increasingly more applicable than they used to be? Um, Why don't you handle that one, Adela? Um, So, first of all, our project perhaps does not fall under classical archaeology per se. Mm -hmm. Um, You may have been um, thinking that because my background and my degrees are from classical archaeology programs, both on my Czech background and and the U.S. uh, graduate school. Um, Both of these programs in the Czech Republic and at Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, are heavily interdisciplinary. Even okay. during the 20th century, which is when I got my education, um, archaeology had started um, opening up to the other disciplines. So in that sense, um, I am not a classical archaeologist that would be only looking at statues, um, architecture, and written records. But uh, I have been trained to also include you know, pollen analysis, zooarchaeology, um, surface survey next to the excavation, and many other, uh, and of course, uh, information technology as the necessary tools in the you know palette of archaeological uh, toolkit. Uh, so all of these um, interdisciplinary approaches uh, are integrated in the Tunja Regional Archaeological Project. In fact, the whole idea of that project is to look at landscapes. And doing excavation alone, it would take us 100 years to learn anything about a region. So we instead took the approach of doing surface survey, supplemented with uh, paleoecological and geochemical coring, and trying to get as much information out of these two regions that we study as possible using the expertise of other scientists and as well as archaeologists. Tell me a little bit, and this is to you as well, Adela, how about the uh, archaeological infrastructure in Bulgaria? I know a little bit about it. It's just sort of waking up from what I understand, but you probably have a lot better perspective on that than I do. 
And so uh, Bulgaria um, has had a digital infrastructure since the 1980s, and that is there has been a national register of archaeological sites called the Archaeological Map of Bulgaria. This has been promoted by Mieczysław Domaracki, uh, one of the archaeologists at the Archaeological Institute of the Bulgarian Academy of Sciences, and he had managed to obtain governmental funds to create this huge database that all Bulgarian archaeologists need to submit the like forms or data records to if they want their permits to be reactivated every year. Right. So mm-hmm. it is a condition of uh, archaeological practice in Bulgaria that you submit uh, all your documentation to this uh, digital online record. Mind you, the accessing this uh, national register is fairly difficult and limited because of looting problems that they ha- have been or that they have had in the country. So you need to prove your identity, uh, prove your um, legitimacy uh, in order to draw on the data set for research purposes. So it is more an archive with few people who have um, access to it. Sean, let me ask you a little bit about trying to coordinate all these various moving parts just in terms of implementing the survey. Obviously, you would have to coordinate with uh, Bulgarian archaeologists on the ground, and I assume this is a cooperative venture. Uh, tell us a little bit about the logistics, and tell us a little bit about uh, what are the technologies that you are actually using and arming your field survey people with as they're doing this work. Uh, okay, um, so yeah, in it, our our project is uh, as as you uh, uh, rightly uh, assumed uh, a, a joint project uh, with Bulgarian uh, scholars. Uh, our main partners are the Archaeological um, Institute of the Bulgarian Academy of Sciences and uh, the regional museums in the two regions that we uh, we work in: the Yambol Museum and the Kazanlok uh, Museum. Uh, and it took uh, some years to develop the, uh, the these partnerships that are really necessary, uh, both from a legal and from a research perspective, uh, to allow uh, successful um, uh, to allow successful field work. Uh, and the fact that it was a, a genuinely international project threw in a few more complications. We not only did we work in three languages, we worked in two alphabets, um, and uh, and and we brought together people who were trained in uh, very different archaeological traditions. Um, it, and that goes both for sort of the the uh, Australians on the project versus the Czechs versus the Bulgarians. Uh, oh my also, God. As as you uh, mentioned as well, there's the uh, there were classical archaeologists involved as well as prehistorians, uh, Roman and you know medieval archaeologists, all of whose training and perspectives are are, are have some differences. Um, you know, as as you mentioned, say in the uh, in in how scientific or or more sort of art historically oriented they are. So it was uh, it was an interesting uh, challenge to pull all this together. But I think that the um, range of expertise on the team and the range of perspectives has ended up uh, producing some some good outcomes, which we hopefully will get to the publisher later this year. So, um, Brian, oh, and, yeah, go oh, ahead. So, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say the second half of your question about the uh, uh, about the uh, IT tools we used at that time. We tried to use commercial software, um, but uh, we found it wasn't really that successful as Adela had uh, mentioned, and that was really what spurred us to develop the custom software that we've uh, that we've made now. Well, I, I'd like, uh, and I don't know who's most equipped to do that. I would like to get into that. Obviously, what a lot of people have done, and, and you rightly pointed this out in the beginning, in order to establish integrated software packages and ones that allow for cl- cross-platform generation would take a little from here, a little bit from there. You mentioned Esri, probably from some GIS-related information. And uh, how did how did that? Did you originally try to do that using a variety of integrated uh, of software elements and just try to put them together, and then by by difficult experience, learn that it's simply too difficult to do it, so you have to go ahead and reinvent the wheel. Uh, Sean, why don't you take that one? Um, yeah, that's that's pretty close to what happened. Uh, I, I mean, what we found was that you know. Um, Databases were good at handling structured data, and uh, by the time the project rolled around, we'd, we'd more or less migrated from using databases like Access to using things like SQL Server, uh, and at the same time, alongside that, we were using uh, desktop GIS systems, but to use those two as an example, it's actually relatively difficult to take a properly, a properly structured database and connect ArcGIS to it so that it uh, works properly, or, or on the other hand, if you if you optimize your data structures for ArcGIS, then you have to uh, make a lot of sacrifices on the database side of it. Um, and I could say you know similar things about uh, the the other tools that we've used. There were lots of compromises because these are all general purpose commercial tools that were never designed with anybody giving archaeology a second thought. Uh, and so that it, it, it uh, really produced quite a, um, a, a cobbled together solution in the uh, in the end that had some problems. Uh, so what we uh, one of the things though that we were told by the granting agency when we started this was uh, don't reinvent the wheel anywhere where you don't have to. Right. So uh, our project has has been an open source project where we try to integrate whatever libraries. Uh, 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 software libraries are available that will do specific tasks that we can do. We actually had to write very little of it absolutely from scratch. Um, mostly the, 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 the mobile uh, application was the one that we built um, uh, the, the, the most from the beginning. Um, but uh, the other parts of the system, the uh, uh, data um, editing and visualization uh, uh, software that we're using, the online archive, we, um, uh, we joined existing open source efforts for those uh, and uh, then focused our own development on the weakest link, uh, which was the, which was the uh, mobile data collection. Okay. Uh, let me bring Brian into this. You are identified as technical manager and data architect for this project. It sounds like a very difficult job, and tell us a little about it. The trick is, is that every archaeologist has data that they are interested in, and the challenge is being able to collect that data so that they don't need to make compromises, so that we can tailor to them as opposed to them coming to us. And so the challenge was making a database structure that was easy to define 
uh, data collection methods for, and at the same time being general enough to cover every single possible archaeological question. And in the in the process of generating that general case solution, we managed to create an extremely general case solution such that it's appropriate for any offline data collection instead of just archaeological. So that's your sort of an expansion tool, if you will. That's where you want to sort of eventually, you eventually want to market it? We actually have projects using our tool that, that are in geochemistry, that are in uh, biology and so on and so forth, and oral history as well. It's because archaeological questions are so broad that they touch on all of these fields. And so the tool that we've used is actually quite good for the parent fields as well as from this multidisciplinary archaeological effort. And we will be back in a few minutes with our fascinating discussion on the Federated Archaeological Information Management Systems project that is taking place in Bulgaria and largely processed, from what I understand, in Australia. We'll be back after these words. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show. The Sharon Kleina Hour. Health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening.
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to indianajonesmythreality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and we are talking to a very, very international team, actually two Americans and a Bulgarian sitting in Australia, uh, about the Federated Archaeological Information Management Systems Project. And those of you who uh, follow archaeology in a, a slightly more than casual way will know that the uh, development of the technological and information-based revolutions in archaeology have resulted in, in major advances in archaeology. And knowing, as many of us do, that archaeologists are resourceful people, we have traditionally taken bits and pieces of higher high technology from a variety of other disciplines and applied it to our own series of problems. Well, we have gotten so specialized at this point that uh, we're trying to do a reverse here, and we're trying to generate the types of integrated platforms for archaeology that will be applied to other aspects and other subdisciplines, largely in the environmental realm. Um, on the FAMES project, uh, Brian... Uh, Bolson Stanton is the person who is involved in this general extension of the application. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how this project and how this uh, protocol and platform can wend its way into other elements of environmental research and the management plans? Well, the, the, the crucial thing about environmental research or geological research or biological research is that it takes place in the middle of nowhere. And trying to solve that problem is really quite difficult because if to move from paper into something where your data is born digital, it is geo-referenced, you have multimedia, requires more than just having a phone talking to the internet. Because in deepest, darkest Sydney, it's impossible to connect to the internet. And, and that, that's true for even more remote sites. And so what we've done is build a tool that can function in an offline environment with multiple people recording on different devices all at the same time, and through a process of what amounts to magic, produce arbitrary data exports on the other end. Uh-huh. And so talk to me about extending it. So extending it is, is mainly a function of requirements generation. It's what questions do you want to ask and how do we model those questions in such a way that the constrained vocabularies, the measurements, the annotations, and the certainties of that methodology can be translated into an electronic form. And you have successfully marketed this to whom? Uh, I'm going to pass this to Sean. Um, okay. So I guess I would say market may not be quite the right uh, term. That we have, uh, we've made both a sort of a, a, a philosophical and economic decision to uh, produce this project in an open in an open source context. So mm -hmm. uh, we're very happy. The uh, all of the. Um, 
you know, the, the, the code for the underlying application. Uh, most of the uh, customizations that have been done are, are available online through GitHub and, and, and other, vi- uh, and, and other uh, venues. So um, uh, what we're trying to do is generate a, uh, you know, a, a, a core uh, group you know, in Australia, hopefully uh, you know, around the world, that will use this software, contribute to its, de- to its development in the future, uh, build a user base with some expertise in this, uh, in this software. Um, and to help uh, do that, what we did was explicitly request in our, in our most recent infrastructure grant uh, for funds that allow us to support the field deployment of this software. And uh, so we've we've done deployments now at um, uh, at a Neolithic Tell in Turkey, at a Middle Stone Age uh, project survey and excavation in Malawi, um, at uh, a uh, at, at a, a survey in Peru that's an American project uh, out of the University of Vermont. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Oh, Adela has some more that I'm missing. Uh, um, classical, well, early Iron Age projects uh, at Zagora on the yeah. island of Andros in Greece. And the common thing among all these projects is to never lose data. Because for a paper survey, you have clipboards, and the pages, when, when you turn a page, have a tendency to blow away. And so with, with ours, we, we change the, the, the nature of data collection so that there's more redundancy and more legibility and more credibility of the data so that we never lose data. And what's happened with this is that it's been successful enough that now we've started to get some interest uh, outside of archaeology. For instance, from the uh, the, the New Zealand uh, Soil Geochemical Survey has uh, has used the software with uh, you know across multiple teams going all over New Zealand. So that was a good large scale uh, test for it. And uh, CSIRO, um, and you'll forgive me, I've forgotten what the acronym stands for, but it's uh, the major scientific agency in Australia. They're using it for aqueous geochemistry and uh, potentially uh, some other um, uh, uh, geological research in Australia. So uh, it's, uh, and there's an ecology project is using it for animal observations uh, uh, now or soon in the future. So... um, uh, it's um, it's starting to uh, it, starting to take off. I hope. Well, I would think, and this is uh, just off the bat, that one of the most direct and probably the most fulfilling venues to do this is in the world of commercial archaeology. I mean, marketing it to uh, to private companies in Australia, where I think the infrastructures are probably better. And where, you know, and, and I'm speaking here in very generic terms, the archaeology is probably not as complicated as it may be in Bulgaria, would be an excellent way to do this because you are looking at rapid turnaround and maximum efficiency in the entire, along the entire nodes of this platform. Have you tried that yet? Uh, yes, actually, we've, uh, we've had consulting archaeologists as part of our uh, community from the beginning, um, in, and you're, you're absolutely right about this, the majority of Australian archaeological data is, is not generated by academic projects. It's, dim, it's, dim, it's generated by uh, consulting archaeologists doing you know, rescue work and uh, survey ahead of mining or development projects. Of course. Uh, and uh, we've, been, we've reached out to that community from the, uh, from the beginning. Uh, now, there... <laughs> 
reliability and ease of use are are high priorities for them. So they have, in a way, sort of given us very valuable advice but held back until we've uh, released our, uh, our 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 second our, our, our second major update of the software and uh, now with that release which was just at the at the end of 2014 we have um, I think three consultancies now who are uh, who are at various stages of deployment of our uh, of our software so we're really looking forward to that as one of our outcomes for um, for 2015. And uh, in that sense, one of the ways that we fund our project is sort of the standard open source um, uh, approach to uh, to, to um, uh, raising money, which is um, essentially we give away the recipe, but we build a restaurant uh, that uh, you can download all the software for free, but uh, we provide support services. We will provide uh, deployment services. Um, help, you know, uh, priority help. Um, you know, uh, uh, consulting about um, how you organize your data and various other services that are built around the software that we've developed. What about training programs for other people to learn how the platform works and how to become familiar with it? Or do you th- still consider yourself in a beta situation where you're still trying to refine it before you can actually deliver it to the end user? Uh, Adele, why don't you talk about that? Yes, sure. I would love, I'd love to. Um, so as Sean said, this is an open source project. So all the software is already available uh, for download on GitHub. And we have worked in the last half year to build a um, whole range of different bits of documentation. So we mm-hmm. have a fully functional wiki uh, where anyone uh, can read about uh, the whole system. And we have different uh, levels of wiki for the developers and people who have programming experience, which specifically um, instructs people how to to build their own modules for the mobile platform, to user guidelines for people, for other archaeologists who may not be interested in the computing intricacies of the app, but just want to learn how do they, for example, draw little shapes in the map, how do they load different maps, how do they prepare their rasters so they display properly, and a whole suite of documentation like this. When Sean and I were in the field, I struggled, um, and this was seven years ago, granted, I struggled to find enough documentation to run the ArcPad and to prepare all my um, layers of data properly. Uh, so um, having learned from that experience, we are trying to build the documentation so that people can use it independently of us. We are happy to provide the services, but we also want to cater to students, graduate students, and people who have enough time and enough um, um, ambition to read it uh, on their own and learn it on their own. For those who do not have the time but do have the money, we are happy to provide the services ourselves. So you're still in a position where you're trying to organize some kind of an umbrella for how to deal with all of this, and that makes a, that makes a tremendous amount of sense, and I'm sure those are, are some serious limitations in using it. How do you see the project expanding? Uh, do you have any specific steps to extend the project? I mean, I had talked to Brian about... Uh, extending it beyond um, archaeology. 
Um, but I am interested also in how to extend it within archaeology in the types of intel, uh, data procurement avenues that you have not yet tried. Is there anything that you, you, you think that this uh, type of platform can be used for that you haven't yet realized? Um, how about you, Sean? Uh, well, we're we're moving forward on a number of fronts in this in in this regard. That um, uh, we are really working this year on expanding the user base of the software. Uh, that it still, uh, as you've uh, alluded to, it still hasn't reached its. Um, we still haven't deployed it at all of the sorts of different kinds of archaeological activities that it's capable of uh, of, of, of uh, managing. And so we're really going forward in, in, a, in a couple of ways. Uh, sometimes, in some cases, large projects will come to us and we work with them intensively to customize the software for use at their project. This was, for instance, the case of that Neolithic Tell, and we plan to continue doing that with more projects this year. Uh, then the other side of it that Adela had, uh, had, had mentioned was that you know, if we work with a large project, one of the things that we do is um, we do our best to get them to agree to uh, release the customization work we do for them to the community. And what this allows is for um, uh, researchers on smaller projects, researchers without much of a, a, a budget to hand, to uh, take these customized versions of our software, um, download them, install them, and use them on their own projects. So, uh, And we've got uh, one researcher in the field right now who's taking some of the work that we had, uh, had, had done for larger research projects, and she has, on her own, with very little support uh, from, from, from us, started using this on her own research, smaller research project. So um, we're, we're trying to support both of these uh, uh, models going forward as far as getting this into the hands of archaeologists, getting it deployed at as many projects as we can, uh, and uh, that's our major undertaking for this year. The, the other things that we're looking at doing going forward are... Um, uh, expanding the, the well, the F in FAMES is for federated, and uh, we're we're trying to um, make it as easy as possible to pass data out of our uh, out of the mobile application into other tools that are available to archaeologists. So, for instance, right now you can export uh, directly from our, our our mobile application into. Uh, an online editing and, and visualization um, uh, software package that the University of Sydney developed called Hurist. Uh, you can export to uh, TDAR, the Digital Archaeological Record, which is a repository uh, that's run by Digital Antiquity. It's one of the major uh, repositories that's available for, archaeologi for archaeological data. And this year we're expanding that to also include Open Context, a publication service out of, the, out of uh, uh, UC Berkeley that's run by Eric cancer there and um, uh, and ochre which is a, a data uh, editing analysis and publication platform that's run out of the University of Chicago and the idea is that uh, to make it as seamless as possible to pass data out of our system into the other tools that are out there and available for uh, for archaeologists well, we have come to the end of our program. I want to thank my very special guests for participating in this wonderful venture. I think that the future of archaeology and information technology are very obviously intricately linked. And I want to thank Sean Ross, uh, Adela Sobotkova, 
Brian Belson Stanton for taking the time to make us aware of these incredible advances that have emerged from a very, very fascinating project, by the way, in Bulgaria. And thank you so much for participating in the program. Thank, thank you. you. And until next time, this is Joe Schuldenrein signing off, and we hope to stay in touch, and uh, we hope to see you next, work, next week on another episode. Thank you, and good evening. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 